Tolkien's writings captured my imagination as a boy and even on into adulthood, obviously. Not only are they great stories, they're parallels, metaphors, analogies of the gospel. He's probably, my, I'm, one of my arguments in this series is that he's the most influential Christian in the 20th and the 21st century. Just the amount of people that he's exposed to the gospel, whether they realize it or not. Most people don't even realize it, that they're hearing the stories of the Bible. And we do know that Tolkien was a devout Christian. Not only did he write Christian themes in his works, he is responsible for leading C.S. Lewis to the Lord, who is the other greatest Christian in the 20th century. And so I've always been fascinated. And I was, in my college years, I was extremely blessed to sit under some of the, some great professors. Uh, I just kind of was in the right place at the right time. I went to Westmont, which is a Christian liberal arts college in Santa Barbara. Um, I love Claremont. I love Granite Creek. But if I was going to leave you guys, it would be for Santa Barbara. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. But I love that time in my life. I met my wife, Mako. The very first person I met at Westmont is at church today, Dana's. Stayberger, previously Dana Saito, my very first Westmont friend, is worshiping with us today. She, she came up from Orange County to have lunch or breakfast with Mako. So, very special day today. One of my professors was Harvard trained and a professor at Harvard. I just, I, I took biblical archaeology and Old Testament with him. Like, so lucky. My New Testament professor was an Oxford professor, and he wrote some incredible books and curriculum in New Testament survey. He was and is, uh, he's just a genius, and well, anyway, I'll leave it there, but he was a genius, and I don't know how this happened, but I had some nerd friends in college who was also into Tolkien. My roommate was into it. And my roommate talked this professor into doing a, a semester on Tolkien with five other students. And it was just us five nerds. And this, it was amazing. It was like the Inklings or something. It was this, the coolest thing. We did everything but smoke pipes. Um, Tolkien was a pipe smoker, by the way, if you didn't notice on the cover of your bulletin. And we dug into the literature. We, we, dug in, we dug in deep. We read everything in that semester, everything that Tolkien wrote, all of it, all, even the obscure stuff. How many people have seen the movies? I know some people are, are now watching the movies for the first time. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to ask you a question that my Oxford professor asked me. What does the ring represent? So we're talking about the Lord of the Rings, right? What does, the, what does that ring represent? It is the center point of the whole story of the Lord of the Rings. Anybody want to take a stab at it? What do you think the ring represents? No, <laughs> it's like, okay, we need to kick this kid out of class. <laughs> okay, Woo. That, was a, that was a swing and a miss. <laughs> All right. Unity, nope. What? Temptation. Now we're on the right track here. Temptation, what else? Sin. Yes, what else? Dana? Power, yeah. Lust, for sure. Evil, right? Okay, so the rings, and specifically the one ring, represents evil. And so I, we, in that class, when the professor asked us all of these questions, we all kind of gave the same answer. I'm pretty sure I said evil. Power, lust, control, manipulation, 
sin, temptation, all of those things. And so we were all hashing out, okay, what does this object, you know, why, is it, why did Tolkien put it at the center of his book? And why, why is it driving the narrative? And then, I guess you have to be an Oxford professor to come up with profound stuff like this. And he's like, you guys are right, but this is what it really represents. It represents the machine. And then my mind went, so the ring is the machine. Yes, it incorporates all of those negative things that you came up with, but it is the machine that entraps us, that puts us in a system, that, that makes us think and act in certain ways that are contrary to the word of God. It is the machine that we find ourselves in, in this world, and we are wondering why we are losing our souls. If you're not quite sure where I'm going with this, just, just uh, grab your phone. And just think about how much control this, uh, this little device has, right? Think about it. Like, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent. I just think I might be addicted to this thing. I mean, I, I, I'm on it all the time. And I use it. Like, this tool is so powerful in my life. I do everything on it. I even studied for this sermon on this phone. I do everything on this thing. This machine is running my life. Is it, has anybody ever had like phone withdrawals where you're like, you know, you, you feel it, you hear somebody's phone buzz and like you get an adrenaline rush or a, you know, it's, it's, it's like, oh my, this is, this is not healthy. I don't get me wrong. I love my technology. I mean, again, I can do so much with this. It has simplified my life, but at the same time, it's complicated my life, right? And yeah, there is a ton of temptation on this thing. You get everything you want right here. Scary. Our kids are dealing with temptation that you and I had no concept of. So Tolkien used this ring as a device to talk about man's machine. Right? It's not necessarily an original thought. Ancient Greek mythology were messing around with magic rings too. Um, there's an ancient myth, Greek myth, probably around 3rd century B.C. And there was a young man who finds a magic ring. And he realizes that when he puts the ring on his finger and twists it, he becomes invisible. Sounds familiar, right? All of a sudden, a poor peasant boy has access to immense power. And do you know what we say about power? Absolute power what? Corrupts? Absolutely. And with great power comes what? Great responsibility, right? So there is that tension right there that we are living in. Because we have access, whether it's the phone, whether it's our society, whether it's our income, whatever we have, we, we have access to immense, unprecedented power and freedom. Whether you believe it or not, we are, we've got everything at our fingertips. You can do anything you want with your life. But with that power comes great temptation and great responsibility. And we have to decide what we are going to do with the power that we all have. The little peasant boy in the Greek myth, he became invisible, killed the king, and married the queen, and became rich and famous. If you had unlimited power, what would you do with it? Better question is, is that if you had access to power, can God trust you with it? Maybe, just maybe, you're stuck in a tense situation in life because you don't have the moral, moral courage to act properly if God gave you more power, if God gave you more blessings. He can't, he, can God trust you with blessings? Can he trust you with power? Yeah, it's good stuff, eh? Can God trust you? So this is what we're going to be looking into. I think 
Tolkien's life and Tolkien's perspective, we can learn a lot about. Now, growing up, a lot of us can identify with this. Maybe some of us can't, but Tolkien was dirt poor. He was an orphan. He lost his, he lost his dad at a, as, a, as a boy. He lost his mom at age 12. He was adopted by a priest. A priest raised him and saw the giftings that he had. He was, a, he was an amazing intellect. He was a brilliant, he was a treasure for sure. He rose up into the, into the academics so fast, and they made him a chair at a really young age. He was just, he, he had this, this thing about him that was just amazing. But he had, we're not quite sure where it came from, but he had this love and this respect for natural revelation. Do you know what natural revelation is? Uh, after we're done here, go outside, look at the mountains, and suck some air. And you're going to feel the presence of God. Natural revelation is seen when, you, when, you know, when, the, when our astrophysicists talk about the immensity of the galaxy and how, how beautiful it is and how infinite it is. And our minds can't understand it. That type of expression leads you as it did for our scientist friends, into the presence of God, into salvation. Some of them got saved because they're looking through a microscope. That is natural micro... What's the one that you... Telescope. Likewise, other people have been saved by looking through a microscope, by looking at the tiniest cells and seeing that, oh my gosh, this isn't, this isn't random. This is, a, this is a machine. Somebody created this. This is a clock. So... We can discover God through natural revelation. Most, some of us even connect. This is me, by the way. Some of us connect with God better in nature. That's me. I love this. I love connecting with God in worship. I love connecting with God and reading the Word of God. I even like connecting with God, hanging out with you guys. But you know what really gets it for me? is being alone in nature. I can hear him speak. I, I, I get away from the machine, if you will. Yeah? So that was Tolkien. Tolkien had this affinity for nature. Most likely, he's the original tree hugger. He, he grew up in pastoral England outside of... Uh, Birmingham, and his life as a boy and then as an orphan was, he was in a beautiful environment. And you, you see this in the writings, you see this in the Shire, the, you know, the, the beginnings of the movies before everything goes sideways. You see the, the quaint, slow-paced beauty of nature and man's harmony with nature. It's not abusive. There's a mill. There's a stream. There's everything that the community needs. They're not manipulating the environment. They're not poisoning the environment. It is life as it should be, which I think we've kind of gotten away from. I don't have time to get, you know, political and all that kind of stuff. But he was the original tree hugger. He, by the way, was not political. He just loved trees. And then during his age growing up, he saw the industrial revolution ramp up. So his quaint little community started getting bulldozed and they started making factories. They, they tore out some trees and it scarred him, right? It, when I was a boy, uh, we had, I had this great walnut tree on our property. And I used to climb in it all the time, and I built a fort inside of it. Like, I, like it's kind of weird, but I love that tree. And we went on vacation, and some developers chopped it down while we were gone. I was so, I was so angry. Tolkien had this very strong reaction, adverse reaction, to the industrialized machine that started taking people out of quaint, beautiful environments, pastoral environments, 
cramming them into flats. Do you guys know what a flat is? A flat is like a big giant apartment complex that communists cram their people into to subjugate them. Well, I just got political, I'm sorry. But it's true, it's true, I've seen it. I, I've seen what man can do to people when they try to cram them into the machine and make them obey. They, get, they lie to them, they say, oh, you're, all your needs will be taken care of. We're gonna put food in your stomach. We're just gonna control your life. So this is what Tolkien is, he's, he's pushing against that industrialized, military, industry complex. I mean, we all have phones, right? We all have computers. We all have cars. Like, when Tolkien became rich and famous, the dude never bought a car. He still walked to work. He still chose to live a life that would give him fulfillment with all, without all the trappings of wealth. Uh, that's, man, could you imagine if you won the lottery? <laughs> I'm buying a 68 Mustang Fastback, folks. I'm just... <laughs> could you imagine, though? If you, I mean, what, what, would, what toys would you buy? You know? Or would you just... I mean, are, are you content with your life right now? With, are, you, are you content with what you have? Some of you are, some of you aren't. Some of you think that you would be more content if you had that bigger flat screen TV, if you had a bigger machine in your living room, right? Okay, so the ring represents the machine with all of these negative aspects to it that entrap us. In this next clip that we're going to watch, um, you're going you're gonna to see our hero. Now, Tolkien, in his imagination, he writes in Christ types. We, for the past couple of weeks, I've been hitting it hard that Gandalf is a very clear and a very, very strong Christ type. Like he does, and, he, and at times, he literally says what Jesus says. It's, it's fascinating. The other one that we get is Frodo because he is the ring bearer. He's the one that has to carry and eventually sacrifice himself, right? Because he's, he's got the weight of the world literally on, in, on himself. So he acts like Jesus in that sense. So our, our, we're going to see Frodo in this. We're going to see this creepy little guy called Goblin that's hiding in the shadows. And then we're going to See, Gandalf, quote, the central theme to his writings, which is moral courage, all right? So let's just roll this clip now that you understand what the ring is and who these characters are, what they represent. Men that live deserve death. 
some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. Even the very wise can assume animals. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play yet, for good or ill. Before this is over, the pity of Bilbo may ruin the fate of me. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you also were meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. <laughs> that one's not an action one, obviously. But what do we do with the time that has been given to us? And that requires courage, moral courage, to do the right thing. I don't know what is in store for our world and our families in the future. If you watch the news, we all have reasons to be concerned. Maybe we'll just continue life as normal until we're at a ripe old age and we can go and be with the Lord. That would be awesome. But I, I don't know what's going to happen next. I've been saying this quite often. It, we could be in the end of days, right? I think it would be naive for us not to think that way. I think, I think it would be immature just to stick our heads in the sand and not paying it, pay attention to the sign of the times. Regardless, you have been given a specific amount of time. What are you going to do with that time that you have been given? I am going to challenge you to live courageously. Live a courageous lifestyle that says, well, whatever comes, whatever this world throws at us, whatever corruption my ring might have, I choose courage, right? The ring in the world, when the Bible talks about the world, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's this machine, it's this system. In the book of Joshua, Joshua 1, Joshua is moving into a new season. He's moving into a new expression of life, like things are, going, things are changing radically just above on the other side of the horizon. Now, um, do you, is it just me or do you feel like there's change in the air, right? You feel like that something is going to be different maybe in our lifetimes, now, if that is true, you are going to need courage that you don't have. And what the scriptures say about courage is courage is not one of those spiritual gifts. Courage is, uh, is something that you don't go to a, to a seminar for. Courage is not a class that you take. Courage is a commandment. Listen. As it was with Moses, it will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen? Amen. That's God's promise to you. He's always going to be there, even in the darkest of tunnels. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. All right, here we go. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. And he goes again. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my Moses gave you. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left that you may have success wherever you go. All right? We all have this 
this imagination of what we think success is. But God has a different form of success that does not look like worldly success. Amen? Like God's success is not in objects, it's not in toys, it's not in machines. God's success is a spiritual success that done right gives you confidence, gives you the ability to walk in the Spirit, to see in the Spirit, to be on God's same page, to say His words, to lead people to the Lord, to be, to be courageous when you know you're not. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Like, we, this, this, you just need to be talking scripture. I mean, don't annoy your friends and your family and your neighbors by quoting scripture all the time. Like, you can even sneak it in without the biblical reference. Right? That's right. That's right. I do that all the time when I do secular weddings. I read 1 Corinthians 13, they have no idea. I love that, by the way. Planting seed that they don't even know about. Meditate on it day and night. That's why we're in a Bible reading plan. We want to encourage you to meditate on your word in the morning when you go to bed, maybe in the middle of the day. Meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. All right, ready? Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I, okay, here we go. Have I not commanded you? What is he commanding us to do? He is commanding us to be strong. He is commanding us to be courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then going down on verse 17, only be strong and courageous. Okay, so what's the point here? Have you noticed a pattern over and over again, three, four times? God is telling Joshua, be strong, be courageous. Like once, one time you should be paying attention. In Scripture, if anything is done in threes, what does that mean? That means that you need to stop, you need to think, you need to meditate. Like God's really, he's trying to hammer it into your head. If he's saying something more than three times, be strong, be courageous. What, what, what does courage look like in your daily life? Hmm? All right, I'm going to tell you what it doesn't look like. Courage is not getting on Facebook and trashing somebody over a political opinion. Actually, and we know, like you might think that you're being encouraged because you're giving your opinions and you're you know, blasting somebody and you know, you're like, oh, I'm, so, I'm such a... I'm such a culture warrior here because I've, you know, I stood up for the truth and I, you know, I've got my opinion out there. That, like that, that's not courage. And even the psychologists are like, they're seeing the damage that it does to the individual that is venting online. They're saying things in digital space. They're saying things inside of the context of the machine that they won't say face to face to somebody else. That's not courage. That's cowardice. So don't don't be deceived. In in the context of the machine. You have the ability to be a coward, like our little creepy guy that was rolling around in the darkness there, who's completely corrupted by the technology. You guys okay? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay. So that's not courage. Courage is not vented anger. Hmm? Yeah? Courage is not vented anger. Courage and what Jesus says about meekness actually go hand in hand. Meekness sounds like a sissy word, right? Do you want to know what the definition of meekness is? Power under control. The meek shall inherit the what? The earth. Power under control. My goodness, we can't even control the words that are coming out of our mouths right now. Uh, Self-control is, is a gift of the Spirit, by the way. And it is also fruit of the Spirit. So, if you want to know how you're doing, watch the words that are coming out of your mouth. Courage. 
Christian courage is that tension that Frodo was dealing with, where he says, I, I wish this has never have happened to me. Have you ever had that, that thought? Like, like I, I wish I wasn't in this situation. I wish I didn't have this level of responsibility. I, I, I wish it hadn't come to me. And again, our Christ figure Gandalf says, you know, these are difficult times. No one has wished these on ourselves, but what you do at this time is what defines you and what is important. All right, yeah, I'm going to go here. Um, Tolkien not only was the original tree hugger, not only was he the original environmentalist. In the 60s and the 70s, the hippies like took Tolkien under their wing. They're like, we have a spokesperson. And Tolkien's like, no, you don't. I'm not, I'm not with you guys. He did not like to be associated with the hippies. It's great. He just, he just loved his nature and he loved his God. The anti-war people were also trying to bring him and his writings under his wings. Because if you watch the movies and you see the evil that, that Tolkien is, is divvying up, it's easy to say, well, he's anti-war. Um, yes and no. Tolkien was drafted in World War I, and it was during a very difficult time. It was, it was probably, and this is why I'm doing this series on, on his life and where he was and, and, and the process and the stories that he tells. And the, in some ways, the stories that he's telling is his, uh, he didn't have to go to a shrink because he's writing it all out for us to read, <laughs> okay? This is his way of processing PTSD because he, he went into, into World War I. And he didn't want to go because he, he was a book nerd. Like, he didn't have the physique. He wasn't one of the rugby players. He was completely consumed in, in literature and, and writing languages and, and interpreting Beowulf and writing in, in the, you know, he, he, he did a lot of the English dictionary. Like, it's just brilliant, the things that he did that we don't even recognize that he did. And he, just, he didn't want to go to war. I mean, like, who does? But this is what was taking place in England during, during the beginning of World War I. The Church of England was being used as a recruiting station for the war. Pastors would get up and they would use their pulpits to tell young men that God wills it. They were actually literally signing people up to fight in the war in church. And they were saying, this is God's will for you and your life to go and fight and defend your country. Now, um, I, I don't want to get into, like, is that true or not? Was that God's will or not? Uh, church and state, was that a manipulation? Look, maybe, maybe not. But what we do know is that the Germans were doing the very same thing. This is World War I, not World War II. We're not talking about Nazis. We're just talking about good old German boys. But they, their church was doing the same thing. Their church was saying... God wills it. We need to fight this fight, and you need to line up and be in God's will. Like they, they, both sides were using that, that type of uh, manipulation to draft. One of the most amazing stories in, in World War I was the Christmas Eve story, where for some reason, in the trenches, the trench warfare just crammed everybody down into a very, you know, it was a war of inches, right? It was, it was brutal. It was something that we had never seen before. And on Christmas, I'm not quite sure who had the courage to do it, whether it was a German or whether it was an Englishman, but they laid down their weapons of destruction, their machine guns and their mustard gas and all these horrible machines that were slaughtering young men wholesale. They put them all down for one day and they worshiped Jesus together in the trenches. I don't know who had the courage to do that, but it changed. Like the, like the Holy Spirit was there in that moment.
after World War I, I just, they thought that the war was going to be very short because, you know, they were used to fighting on horses and, you know, maybe some muskets and some cannons. They thought it was going to be short. But with the invention of the machine gun, with mustard gas, with tanks, with airplanes, with bombs, like it was a new kind of war and it was just devastating. It was, it was just uh, out of all of Tolkien's classmates, he had one guy come back with him. He fought in the Battle of Somme, which was human one of humanity's worst battles, most, most carnage of all time. We don't, he didn't talk about that one. And when they came back, these young men seeing things, experiencing pain, that you know we don't we we can't quite understand or you know you can go there when they came back how do you think the church fared the church that sold them on a bloodbath hmm how do you who, the church that got politicized how how do you think a, a church that was that was uh, preaching death and destruction to Germans instead of preaching the gospel how how well do you think that went over do you remember a goodbye to all that by Robert Graves? I had to read that in school. Did anybody have to read that besides me? They probably don't let you read that anymore. An entire society turned their back on God because of disillusionment of this war and the way that the church presented themselves, right? And in, like all of England, I mean, atheism and Darwinism, like it was, it was seated, it was, it was already in the mix, but World War I pushed it over the top. It, 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 it changed everything when they came back and saw how, how poorly the church handled things. Pushed it over the top. Everybody became disillusioned with God and disillusioned with the faith. Now, we're dealing with that today. We're dealing with a huge-scale disillusionment, and we haven't even fought a world war, although it might happen, but we haven't been, in, we haven't been exposed to that yet. Now, Young people, your friends, your family, you know this is true. You hear it all the time. A lot of people these days are disillusioned with the church. Do you agree? Yeah. All the stuff in the media, all the stuff in the news, all the hypocrisy, all of these things. So, uh, what is Christian moral courage in our environment in this situation? It is exactly what Tolkien does. It's exactly what C.S. Lewis did when they were facing something very similar. They had courage. They had courage in the midst of a society that was turning their backs on God. There was very few that were faithful during that, after that war. But for some reason, Tolkien was still taking communion. For some reason... He led Lewis to the Lord, and together they forged a conversation about being a courageous Christian when, when the world's turning their back on it. I mean, just think about all of Lewis's radio programs that he did, Mere Christianity, like logically thinking through this. If an atheist can get saved, you can get saved. Like, it was absolutely amazing. So, come what may, Will you and will your family and will your children, will they be courageous? They have to be taught courage. It has to be modeled. It has to be, it has to, again, it's not the political stuff. It is you standing strong in your faith when you want to quit. You have, I mean, you standing strong in your faith when you think that God has cursed you. He hasn't cursed you, by the way. That's a lie of the enemy that, that gets planted into your head that does not exist. He's never, what is the word of God promise? He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. So you have to st stand strong in your courage. What it does look like, Christian courage, it is standing up for yourself and strengthening yourself in the Lord In time, saying, this is wrong, right? 
This is morally wrong behavior. That would be Christian courage in your environment and your circumstances. Christian courage looks like that person over there is hurting. Christian courage walks up and ministers to the person when you don't feel like it. Yeah? That's courage. Christian courage, despite what the environment is doing, despite what society is doing, Christian courage walks into dark places and becomes a light. Yeah? yeah? Uh, yesterday, Mark Forty and I went down to Skid Row. We're going to do an outreach on November the 5th. Uh, I'm not quite sure if outreach is the right word. We're going to throw Skid Row a party. Right. Yeah? So, I mean, there's, there's tons of ministries and there's tons of social groups that are, you know, feeding people and helping them with mental stuff and working really hard. It's amazing to see all the good work that is going on down there. And, and we will do that. But what we also want to do is we kind of want to throw them a Matthews party. We want to show how much God loves them by throwing them a party. We're going to give them, we're going to meet needs too. But that's, that's the, it's a little bit different than what we'd normally do. And it's Mark Forty's brainchild. So it's going to be absolutely amazing. So we're down there, and I've been to Skid Row before. All right, I'm going to just... Sometimes, sometimes Pastor Josh isn't the brightest candle on the birthday cake. No. <laughs> All right? So we had this incredible opportunity to go down. One of the guys that we went... Two, two really big guys. Uh, one, of a, one, of, one of the guys actually came off the streets, was delivered from uh, drug addiction and all kinds of gang-related stuff, and God wrecked his life, came in, saved him, and now he has, a, he has his own little you know, skid row ministry. Absolutely amazing guy. Really big guy, so I felt safe and secure around him. <laughs> one of the other guys that went with us was an NFL football player, ex-football player, that has his own little outreach ministry, and he also loves to go down there and help people in need. And so uh, and then there was another big guy, and then there was me and Mark. <laughs> and so Mark's working, the, he's working it, Mark, he's doing everything that Mark does, he's making all the connections, he's talking to everyone, and we're in this, we're in this area, and um, there's, this really, there's this hole-in-the-wall restaurant, and I start smelling it, I'm like, oh my gosh. And so Sometimes I am led by my stomach and not by the Holy Spirit, okay? <laughs> Sometimes my flesh gets the better of me. And I'm like, I don't really care what they're talking about. I'm going to go into that dive hole in the wall over there and I'm going to get some of that fish. So I, just, I, just, I, I, so I left these really big guys. I go in there and I order there and there's like, like all of these eyeballs. I'm like, like, Josh, you idiot. What are you doing in here by yourself? You shouldn't call yourself an idiot, by the way, but. And just to be transparent, fear got me for a second, right? Because I was in an environment that I wasn't used to. I'm used to this environment with my really cool carpet and my comfy, comfy brown chairs. Yeah? I, my Starbucks coffee, yeah, this is the, I don't drink Starbucks anymore, but I, 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 like, I like my little amenities. And now all of a sudden I'm in a different environment where like, like I don't belong there, right? We were in other parts of Skid Row where it was sketchy and just like, it's so hard everybody, it's so hard right now. It's a different type of poverty. The, the, the crystal meth and the fentanyl is just wreaking havoc on those poor people. And it is so hard to break out of that. And the, the drug lords are running it like crazy. We, got, we, we, we were told that there's a guy on a bicycle. He's got $45,000 in cash in his little beater bicycle that, that he makes, and he's got another 50000 in in crystal meth in the back. Like... You think he's a homeless guy, and he's, he's riding around with almost $100,000 in, 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 in money. Just anyway. So hypodermic needles everywhere. Sketchy, you know, how I, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking sketchy people, you know, because we just automatically prejudge, right? 
We just, we just always do that. And so a little, a little bit of fear came into me again, you know? It's like, this is kind of a sketchy environment. I don't really like being here right now. I don't feel safe, yeah? It's not my first rodeo, okay? It's not my first rodeo. I've been there, done that before. I've been in really bad situations before, but regardless... I needed, to, I needed to tell myself to be courageous, and I didn't, but I'm going to tell you who did. Um, so, you know, here I am, you know, letting fear get the better of me, right, not being courageous. And God, in his ways, he has this incredible way of, of showing us that, that we're not alone, that he has not left us, and he has not forsaken us, right? And, and I always love it when the Lord shows up in miraculous ways. I always love it when unexpectedly I find myself in his presence and I didn't do anything to work myself up to get into that situation, right? Those are the best. Like, I love myself a good, you know, religious experience. I love myself a good Holy Spirit encounter. But the best ones that I've ever had are the ones that I did not work myself up into, the best encounters I've had with the Lord are the ones that have happened to me, yep. right? Yeah. All right, so let's watch this little, skit, this, little, this, little, this little video, and then I'll explain it. Yes, Lord. I pray that you just soften hearts, Father, and give them a, a soft heart, not a hard heart, Father God. I pray for Pastor Joshua and the other pastors and yes. everybody here, Father God, that they'll be able to do for you glory, yes, Father. Father God. You said that in my people that are called by my name shall humble and turn from the wicked ways. That you hear from heaven, Father God. I pray that you hear us from heaven right yes, now Lord. and bring the Holy Hallelujah. Spirit. Father Hallelujah. God. Yes, Lord. Lead us here, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. That gal, <laughs> I know, isn't that great? So that gal, we're just, I'm just walking down the street and this little beater hatchback pulls up and these three little ladies get out and the first thing out of their mouths is like, are you a pastor? I'm like, yeah. And then, then this happens. Three beautiful, not football player ladies pulling in to some of the worst areas in our nation to minister to drug addicts, to give them water, to give them snacks. I'm like, Josh, you are a big sissy, <laughs> right? You are the biggest sissy on the planet to be, to be afraid of this when these, when these gals are just rolling up in their beater car and serving the poor and doing what they can because they feel compelled to it. And then, well, you know what? I always know I'm on a good mission or I'm doing something that God needs us to do when holy women show up and start pouring oil on me. Like they had anointing oil and I, I have some, but I don't know, it's upstairs, but I usually put like a little dot on you. Like these ladies, like they poured so much oil on us to anoint us for the coming event that, like that, that big black eye is like, like, can you give me a paper towel to wipe all this stuff off? I'm like, just leave it on, man. Let it, leave it on. Leave that anointing oil on. I'll just close with this. I know I didn't. I had more scripture to read, but oh, I'll read some more. Why not? <laughs> if, can I get the band to come on up? Why don't you grab your elements? Jesus says in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Amen? In the darkest of situations, you have access to peace. Not as the world gives. Okay, pay attention to that. Not as the world gives. Not as that machine gives, right? You think that the machine is giving you what you want, but it's not. 
it's corrupting you. Not as the world gives, do I give you. Let your hearts not be troubled, and don't be afraid. Have courage. Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. In Psalms 23, we know this. Although I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They bring me courage. You prepare a place for me in the presence of my enemies. So you can be in the presence of your enemies and still have confidence and still have security. I love this part. He, he makes you. He makes you lay down in green pastures. Yeah? You know that God is going to make you unplug? He's going to make you connect to him through natural revelation in addition to everything else? He's going to make you slow down so that he can connect with you. Back to Joshua, you know, if you're, if you're strong, if you're courageous, if you don't let the word of the Lord pass from your mouth, if you're meditating on it day and night, what did, what did it say? Then you will be what? What, did it, what was the promise? The promise is that you will be successful and prosperous in all that you do. That is why David can say, my cup runneth over, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? Courage is a choice. Courage is an attitude of the heart, but most importantly, courage is a commandment. You have been commanded to be courageous, and this is how we do it. This is the true liquid courage. Yeah? yeah. yeah. Isn't that cool to think about it that way? Yeah? yeah? You think you need to get um, a little liquored up to be courageous? This is the better way. Yeah? Do you like that? This is liquid courage. This gives you the confidence to walk into the presence of God. Free from sin, free from guilt, free from shame. You want to be successful and prosperous in all the things that you do? You have to be in the body of Christ. Both partaking of this element, but equally important, sitting in these nice, comfy, brown chairs, and the Holy Spirit's going to kick you out of and lead you into the streets. Yeah? Amen. Yeah? This is the body of Christ for your provision, for your success spiritual success, success that the Lord gives, not success that the world tells you that you want. This is your provision. This is your daily bread. This is the body of Christ. Receive it now. I don't know about you, but when I have the blood of Christ running through my veins, I feel like I can take on the world. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. Now. Yeah? Let's drink to liquid courage right now. Let's have Jesus' blood running through our veins so we will fear no evil.
God good. Will you give Elizabeth a hand for leading us in worship today? Thank you, honey. We really appreciate it. So let me leave you with this. Of course, courage is a commandment. So, oh, offering. Let's, thank you, Frank. If I could have the ushers come to the front, please. Be courageous as you give. Thank you, God, for this offering. Help us to advance beyond our comfortable chairs. God bless you as you give back to the Lord. Courage is a commandment. So, what will you do with the time that you have been given? I know you don't want to be here dealing with certain situations, but how will you respond to certain situations? What will you do with what God has given you? And can he trust you with more? Can he trust you with more power? Can he trust you with more blessings? Let's allow God to bless us right now. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. In dark moments, may he turn towards you in your times of need. And may he fill your life with a peace that transcends all of our understanding and situations. May God bless you richly this week. May he bless you with strength that you didn't know you had. May he bless you with confidence that is beyond your abilities. May he bless you with a different mindset that can overcome any situation. May he give you the mind of Christ this week. God bless you guys. Have an incredible week. Be courageous and strong. We love you.